that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And welcome to another edition of Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton. I know it's been a while. I've been going through a lot of things. But I'm glad to be back for another episode. I hope everyone has been well. Uh, It's been, what, five weeks since I've been on, roughly. So I have a lot to talk about. Uh, I want to thank everyone for following me on Twitter, at Morton's underscore Law. Please go check out the fun that I have there with other people. Of course, you can check me out on Morton's Law Podcast on Instagram. And um, I know, being it's been a while, I wanted to just talk quickly about like Thanksgiving experience and everything. Obviously, with COVID, people couldn't do things. And a lot of people were stuck either with their immediate family or those who traveled took that risk, which, of course, a lot of this country is full of idiots and did so. Because still, despite the fact that now 330,000 people have died, uh, they still feel they can't get it. Or it's still a hoax. I don't know. But that's what the kind of people we're dealing with. 70 million of those voted for that guy. So um, so with just Thanksgiving in general, I mean, look, personally, I think Thanksgiving is a horrible day. I think it's an awful day. Because, you know, I mean, you know who doesn't enjoy Thanksgiving? Turkeys. You know why? Because they're dead. And that's an unfortunate thing. Because Thanksgiving is essentially a turkey holocaust. I mean, think about it. There had to have been at least one turkey trying to avoid the inevitable, walking around like Anne Frank. You know what I mean? I mean, come on now. It's unbelievable. It's just not wrong. It's, not, it's just wrong. It really is. It's wrong. I mean, if you, you know, people protest about the Holocaust, but we can throw turkeys in an oven. I'm just saying. Just, it, it's not right. The turkeys should have rights. I don't know. But you know what's funny is that during Thanksgiving, I'm watching the football game, and this actually happened. I'm watching this, what I consider an educated sports commentator, probably an educated human being. Jim Nance, during the game, literally asked, what is tryptophan? And I went, what? I couldn't, I was in shock. I mean, like, what, what is it, a condition? <laughs> what is, like, how do you not know, like, what tryptophan is? You know what tryptophan is to me? Tryptophan, I use tryptophan when I don't have roofies, okay? That's what it's for, all right? Ultimately, it works, by the way. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, I've been doing a lot of B-horror movie watching, like, around uh, the Halloween time, and then going forward, just watching as many bad horror movies as you can find, whether it's on uh, Amazon Prime or via my Fire TV that I just randomly... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, a bunch of horror movies, and I came across the following movie, and I thought this was apropos for what we've been dealing with. It was called The Orange Man. I didn't watch it, because I I may go back and watch it, but, I mean, (laughs) how funny is that title, right? I can just see it now. Here's Donald. Okay, I'm gonna kill everybody in this house. I'm not leaving either. I'm not gonna go anywhere. Okay. I just made Donald sound like a teenage girl, right? With the with the whole like I'm not going anywhere. Okay. Alright. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I owe a really strong apology. I feel really bad for the family. 
because I did a bit last time about Salino and Barnes, and I thought they broke up. I did not do any research, and I just went on a whim and said they decided to split. I find out after the show, people listened to it and said, you didn't hear about Barnes? I said, what? Barnes died in a, in a, in a, helicop- a helicopter crash. And I went, oh, no. I, and I know I could have come back on and did a correction then, but I was just like, right, whatever. But I want to apologize to Barnes' family, and uh, I feel terrible about it. I mean, uh, he, he's missed for sure. And, I mean, you know, the irony is that they were injury attorneys, and he died in a helicopter crash. I'm just saying. You know, it was bad enough one celebrity died this year in a helicopter crash. Now we have two. Oh, 2020. So the, one of the reasons I haven't been doing anything lately is because I've been uh, dealing with the post-arthroscopic knee surgery that I had for my torn meniscus. Everything has been going well for the most part, doing rehab. However, during the surgery, I really, pre-surgery, I was really hoping that there would be an error with the anesthesia. But unfortunately, I'm still here. Disappointing. Yes, I know. For you too, I imagine. So, I try to be festive. I know there's a lot of humbugs out there who don't really celebrate Christmas or just kind of, oh, whatever, it's here, it is. I don't have any children of my own, so I don't get to experience that uh, loving feeling and gift giving and all that other stuff. But I was thinking about Christmas songs, and I thought, like, this is an apropos Christmas song that would be for what's going on in this world. I'm going to sing it. I'm a terrible singer, but I hope you enjoy the song. Okay, here we go. Grandma got infected by a trumper, walking home from your house Christmas Eve. You would say there's no such thing as COVID, but as for me and Grandma, we believe. I hope you enjoy that. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, Ken Jennings took heat. Ken Jennings, who is the interim celebrity, oh, celebrity, excuse me, celebrity, uh, I said it again. I'm on medication, yes. (laughs) Ken Jennings is the interim host of Jeopardy, and he he was under fire for some recent tweets, or past tweets, rather, regarding people in wheelchairs. And it was insensitive to, of course, millennials who find everything insensitive today. And I was outraged as a comedian, because he didn't say anything horrible about people in wheelchairs. Look, you can be in a wheelchair temporarily. It doesn't mean you're going to be in there for the rest of your life. He didn't mock people in wheelchairs. And there were other so-called comedians who came out and said, oh, well, this is inappropriate. He can't say this. I say, oh, my God. Are we just going to cancel everybody for everything? It is a joke. It really is. It's so frustrating. Does anyone want to just, like, lose their does anyone lose their mind when they deal with customer service representatives i mean once you once you're dealing with a customer service representative in a lot of places you realize why they do that job you ever go to mcdonald's and you see the person behind the counter and you watch them work and you go oh that's why you work here because you're a fucking idiot right exactly well i encounter that with customer service representatives and i don't know what it is with these people but they always have this thing where they have to put you on hold they have to put you on hold. They say they're going to resolve your issue. And now you have to listen to this awful elevated music. And now you're listening to this music. And five minutes goes by. Then they come back and they tell you, oh, uh, still working on this. Please stand by. Then they put you on hold for another five minutes. So anytime you have an issue, you are literally on phone for like 30 minutes. Why is it that they just can't tell you, 
I'm going to take care of this. You go enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. Why do I have to be on hold with you while you do your job? And, and poorly, I might add, because you're so slow and inept. And that's why you have such a job. It, it, it's a rate. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. It, it's so painful. I mean, a lot of them are idiots. Don't get me wrong. You get a few who actually have a clue, and they do help you. But the majority of them are just like, just worthless human beings. Oh, well. So I was at a laundromat recently. And this one guy came in. He looked a little disheveled down on his lock. And he was washing clothes. I don't want to say he was homeless. You know, I mean, who knows? And um, he was like, he literally had change. And he was trying to get enough to, to make his, to do his machine, to wash his clothes rather. And I had a card which saved him a dollar. So I gave him an extra card. And he was really grateful. And um, some woman who was in the store, in the laundromat, also heard this. And somehow when I walked over to the front, she also walked to the front and we crossed paths. And she said, you're a good man. And said I had a good heart for helping him. Then she walked over and gave him a few dollars, which was really nice. And my thought was initially this. It was like, you know, perhaps I could use this woman as a testimonial for all the people who hear my act and think I'm a piece of shit. You know, wait, I have a good heart. I'm sorry. When she initially said that to me, I turned around to go, is there somebody behind me? Who are you talking to? Who's a good man? Because I was just like, <laughs> do you know me? <laughs> I just wanted to do something nice for once in my life, right? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, people send me links all the time regarding the idiot that runs New York State, Andrew Cuomo, who people love for no reason other than they don't know enough about him. As I've said multiple times here on the show, that the man is a fucking clown. And he's an idiot, just like his brother. Um, look, if you don't know what they do to New York, well, what he does in New York, his brother's just on a talk show. Um, but, yeah, deep breath. So, I got a link regarding Cuomo actually comparing himself and Fauci to Pacino and De Niro. I mean, what? This man clearly loves himself. There's no doubt in my mind that when Cuomo has sex, he calls out his own name. There's no doubt about it. This man is a narcissist to the 10th power. He's just like, it's so sickening that how much a man can love himself. Um, so I was thinking if like Cuomo was in movies that De Niro did, you know what I mean? He'd be like, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. Are you talking? Uh. And then he'd be like, um... Let me see. What's the other movie? Uh, let me give you another good. Okay. Hey, fucker. You know, you said the ca- jinxie cat can't flush a toilet. The cat doesn't have thumbs. Fucker, you an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I can't do a Pacino, but I'll give you a walk-in as De Niro. How's that? Uh, okay, I got to say it. I got to say it, and I know I'm going to take heat for it, whatever. Cancel me. This whole Washington football team thing is an absolute joke, all right? Absolute joke. Um, look, they're the Redskins. I don't care. You go find me a sober Indian who gives a fuck, and, I, and I'll care, okay? All these offended millennials, they care more, all right? And that, that's bullshit. Bullshit. Don't care, all right? <laughs> oh, man. This is fun. Oh, by the way, I should have told you what I have coming up. I have the usual NFL stuff coming up. Uh, I'm going to talk wrestling later on. It's not going to be a review because I haven't done a show in a month. I'm going to pretty much just randomly talk about what I have seen in the last month as much as I can remember, which is going to be very little. Um, And then we'll talk some college football, college hoops, and uh, some other stuff. So stay tuned for that also. But um, 
So here's what I've, I read a story yesterday that Mackenzie Scott, uh, ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, donated $4.2 billion to multiple charities, but not a dime to Morton's Law Podcast Foundation. Isn't that a shame? How do you not donate to this podcast? And by the way, you can too. If you're listening right now, yes, you can donate. It's on the thing, on the link, on the anchor. Anchor, please donate if you can. A starving artist. All right, not really starving, but um, <laughs> there is a lot of work that goes into this. So Mackenzie Scott, now divorced, by the way, is as rich as it gets. And I was thinking, this woman has to be lonely with all that money. I mean, and and I tweeted her, by the way. <laughs> Go check it out. Morton's underscore law. I tweeted her. I didn't... <laughs> I actually replied to a tweet, so it wasn't a direct tweet on my on my page. And I told her that, first of all, you know what's a disgrace? People are people make me sick. Like, if you go read her replies, everyone's like, oh, I'm a startup this, I'm an entrepreneur that. Oh, would you help me with some money, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's disgusting. I mean, you're shamelessly asking this woman for money. That's gross. I hate people like that. And I basically just told her, listen, you're a wonderful human being. And I definitely believe you can do a lot better than your ex, Dr. Evil. Because look, look at Jeff Bezos. He looks like Dr. Evil. The only difference is he has one billion. He has a lot more than a billion dollars. <laughs> he has unlimited of billions of dollars. Uh, so I was thinking, like, if I hooked up with her, I could, I could easily just retire. <laughs> I don't have to do anything else. <laughs> I'll be her boy toy. I'll enter the room with HBK's music uh, playing. And last but not least, before we take a break, legendary sports commentator Marv Albert. We'll be talking NBA a little bit later, but he's still doing it, and you know, good for him at this age, still calling. But when I hear Marv Albert call sports, I always wonder: is he calling sports or porn? Because whenever he says the following, I'm a little confused. Serving up a facial, yes. I mean, he he could technically be calling either one right there. So that's just my thought on Marv Albert, but I'm happy he's still there. And he's no longer biting women, at least for what I've heard. Coming up next, full around the NFL and college football and some other sports. You're listening to Morton's Law. Thank you, everybody. Coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton. Thank you for joining me again. So let's go to the NFL and my beloved Chicago Bears. And this has been a roller coaster season, to say the least. This team started 5-1. and one, Then they found a way to lose five in a row. Or six in a row, excuse me, to get to five and seven. And now they've come back and won back-to-back games. And the thing is this, it's pretty simple with the Bears. I mean... They, they went with the switch and they brought Foles in. And Foles had moments where he came back against the Falcons, of course. But then Foles looked like Foles normally does unless it's a playoff game. And Foles got hurt and they went back to Trubisky. And Trubisky had had a really bad first half against the, the Packers. But then he came out in the second half, had a better half. And since then, Trubisky's played really well. And a lot of that is with the play calling. And I was doing a lot of reading regarding the Bears and, and the fact that, well, Nagy, who was calling the plays, eventually gave it over to Bill Lazor. And Bill Lazor started calling the plays. But they were still not executing in certain situations. They were struggling on third down. And Trubisky is not really a strict pocket passer. You have to get him on the move. 
and be creative a little bit with the offense. And a lot of people have criticized Nagy's game plan and his stubbornness for not running an offense that's more conducive to Trubisky's style. And that has changed. Now you see Trubisky moving a little bit more. He's getting out. Listen, he's still going to make mistakes. I'll ask you this. What quarterback doesn't make mistakes? So there's very few in the league that you can count on not to make boneheaded decisions. Uh, Look, he was really good last week. Look, the game against the Lions was terrible. That was a really bad loss because he played as well as he could. And that was a game in which the defense just gagged. And him getting sacked and fumbling in the last two minutes was not his fault because he was blindsided, uh, bad blocking on that play, not to mention they should have probably ran the ball there. I don't know why you're throwing. And if anything, if you're going to throw, he's got to be on the move. He cannot be just sitting in a pocket. So that loss was not his fault. Then they came back and they, I mean, they just smacked Minnesota around, which was great. I mean, they had a hold on late, of course, but they, they won. The, the, the Houston game was, was extremely impressive, although Houston is Houston, so let's be honest. Uh, it was just good to see them get an easy win for once. And um, look, I was more impressed with the Houston win and, and David Montgomery. And I've been critical of Montgomery. I know the Chicago Bears line is very weak. And I know it's one of the worst in the league, which is also an indictment on on Ryan Pace, who should be gone. But ultimately, I felt like David Montgomery w- would hit the line and would just fall down. And there was a lot of that for the first year and a half or so. And I don't know if it's the blocking scheme or him just now reading the blocks better, but he's now emerging as a legitimate back in this league. And it is ple- it's a nice thing to see because I, I had almost given up on him. I was telling one of my buddies who's also a Bears fan, and I was remember the draft because the Bears passed on Singletary and they passed on Damian Harris. And they, they took Montgomery, and I thought that was a mistake. Now, Singletary and Harris have, have been respectable. But I just thought I didn't like Montgomery because he was coming out of Iowa State for starters, where they play no defense. So all of your numbers are going to be somewhat inflated in that conference. I mean, look, a couple teams play defense. I can say the whole conference doesn't. Um, but when you look around the country now, we'll talk about college football later. Defense is an issue in most of the country. Very few teams are playing right now. But also, one other thing about Trubisky that I failed to mention is that reportedly, I don't know how true this story is. Take it with a grain of salt. He went to Nagy and I guess Laser had a conversation and said, listen, the plays that are running right now aren't going to help us win because I can't run them. So we got to run my plays. And now they're listening to him, which, as I just mentioned with Ryan Pace, is an indictment on the coaching staff. Because if you're not going to adjust to your players, well, then you're you don't know how to win in this league because you can't run your system and expect everyone to get it right. So I think regard now, I don't want to say regardless because I don't know how this is going to play out. Look, the Bears have Jacksonville on Sunday, which you would expect that they is a, is a more than winnable game. The Jaguars, of course, are now fighting with the Jets for the number one overall. The Bears cannot lose this game. Um, and I don't think Jacksonville wants to win the game because obviously everybody wants Trevor Lawrence, right? So Jacksonville is going to go, probably go out of their way to lose it. So um, the Bears have that game, and then they have the Packers at the end. A lot has to happen. To my understanding, uh, they need Arizona to have a loss in one of these next two games. And if they win out, I think they can get in. But are they really going to beat the Packers on the final day? I don't believe so. But that opens up the door then for the questions. Okay, so then what happens in the offseason? I feel if they don't make this postseason, and even if they do to a degree, Nagy and Pace have to go. 
I just don't like how they've handled this whole Trubisky situation from drafting him to bringing him in, then benching him, then going to get Foles and all this other. It's been one big giant circus in Chicago. And I'm not going to tell you I know who the better candidate is out there. People talk about Brady. People talk about, I mean, look, Harbaugh's still in Michigan. He claims to be committed to Michigan. But as a former Bears quarterback, I'm a Harbaugh guy. I know he's more of a rah-rah, but Harbaugh didn't forget how to coach. There's a lot of people out there who forget about his run at Stanford, forget about his run at the 49ers. Listen, runs come to an end. It's about player personnel, who's on your team, how you coach them. College football, it's about recruiting. There's so many things that can go wrong. I assure you, Jim Harbaugh has not forgotten how to coach football. Um, And then there's a slew of other guys in terms of general manager. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. I know a lot of names out there. I don't, uh, you know, this better organization deserves better. I think the defense is good, although it is not as good as it once was under Chuck Pagano. Uh, Excuse me, Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano is the issue under Vic Bangio, who uh, is now in Denver. But Chuck Pagano, they just don't blitz enough. And if the front four, I mean, look, they went out and acquired Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn finally got a sack last week. I couldn't tell you when he had a sack prior to that. He had a sack. And if the front four were Akeem Hicks, and of course, when, when Mack is rushing, and if, if you have those guys up front, along with Nichols, um, if those four guys, when, if you remember the Bears from the Erlacher days, they had a really good front, front line. And Erlacher would come up the middle and blitz, or he would just monitor situations and, and take his chances when he could. When you have a guy like Roquan Smith, who is as fast as Erlacher, if not faster, you need to utilize him and blowing plays up. Because you can't possibly block Mac, Hicks, Quinn, Nichols, and whoever else is on that side when you have Roquan coming up the middle. It just makes no sense that Pagano doesn't blitz more. And then you can have your corners bump and run more. Listen, I know Johnson is a rookie, and he's been plagued a couple times with, with poor coverage. Kyle Furler, as good as he is, gets beat a lot. And look... When you talk about that secondary, there is nothing that makes that secondary look more mediocre than Buster Screen. Buster Screen is one of the worst nickel corner, nickel whatever you want to call him, in the league. He is, he, I don't know, when he makes a play, I'm surprised. I am surprised. He is actually better at against the run than he is the pass. When you watch Buster Screen against the pass, he gets lost on almost every play or he falls down. He literally almost falls down every time. It's so bad watching him. So we'll see what happens with this Bear team. I'm not optimistic about making the playoffs. I'm not sure if I want to make the playoffs just because of the whole this Nagy return, this Pace return. Um, and with Trubisky, I don't know. I mean, look, the guys looked respectable. He actually looks like a pro quarterback. Nobody can deny the numbers he's put up. Now, again, the numbers are going to be inflated this week facing the Jaguar defense. That's really bad. Uh, but he'll get a legitimate test on the final week of the season against the Packer defense. If he can light up the Packer defense and they actually make the playoffs, well, I mean, I'm not saying you don't draft a quarterback. Still, you draft one and then you have a legitimate competition knowing that guy is there and Trubisky can stay quarterback until he regresses if he does regress. That's just that's the thought. All right, let's jump around the league really quickly so we can move on to other sports. So the upset of the week was the Jets over the Rams. I mean, I, people, if you're a Jet fan, 
and you're watching this, you're like, this isn't the opposite of what we're trying to do here. Why are we trying to win this football game? Now, I know some fans don't want to do that, and I respect that. There's some respect in that, having integrity, having professionalism, wanting to go out there and win a football game, despite the, the thought of, okay, well, we have to tank the season so we can get Trevor Lawrence. But then you talk to other Jet fans who are realistic and say, well, do we really want to draft Trevor Lawrence? Because does, does that is that the end all be? Does that fix the problem? Because if you still have a weak offensive line, if you still have... And look, I, I don't want to say that the, the talent around him is weak in terms of the wide receivers. Look, Perryman has an issue staying on the field. But when he's on the field, Perryman is a legit wide receiver in this league. Go watch the end of last year when he was playing in Tampa. The guy is a monster. Uh, Mims looks like he's legit. And Crowder's a really good wide receiver. Herndon is an inconsistent tight end. But, and again, they're running back by committee. Obviously, Frank Gore is not the future. But when you look at this Jet team, what, what does Lawrence really do? What does he do if you can't protect him? You're going to get him hurt. I mean, that would be the Jet luck, wouldn't it? You draft Trevor Lawrence, he comes in ACL in the first game. I could see that happening. Uh, very similar to what, it wasn't the first game, but what happened to Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. He got lost for the season. I mean, I think his was more of a fluke, but with the Jet line, and, and just the Jet in general, I mean, look, anything can happen with this franchise. It's so sad. So, and by the way, how comfortable would Sam Darnold look being back home, right? I mean, that's incredible. He goes back home, and he was throwing the ball as good as he did at USA. There's no there's no doubt about it. And, of course, the Rams already have their quarterback. The Chargers have their How good is Herbert, by the way? Oh, my goodness, is he good. What a future quarterback they have. But, um, yeah, so there's no way of, of Darnold playing in that situation going forward. Even if the Jets were to get rid of him, I don't know where he's going to go. So we'll see what happens there. But the Rams, I mean, that was as bad a loss as you could ever have. And, and people, they were coming off some quality wins. I mean, they have a win over Seattle. Um, I believe they beat Tampa Bay. I'm trying to remember. I think they did beat Tampa Bay. And that, that's brutal. And then the second loss... Of the week, that was a huge upset. Um, the Steelers found a way to lose in Cincinnati. And you can make a case they looked as bad as the Rams, if not worse. I, I don't know if I've seen a Pittsburgh offense look so bad. So inept. Nobody open. The Bengals were so motivated in this game. And, uh, wow, I don't know. The Steelers are now limping into the playoffs. The Bills, because I was going to reference the Bills. They're... If you watch the Bills play, Josh Allen is without question going to be one of the future top quarterbacks in this league. He is so good. He's a top five or a top three guy going forward in this NFL. There's no doubt about it. Allen, his, his passing is, is improving. Of course, he has the legs. He makes great decisions. I don't believe he has thrown an interception in the red zone in his career, which is an amazing stat for a young player. Uh, I love the Bills. I mean, they're getting better on defense. And again, if they can somehow get to the two seed, which is possible, I mean, they're going to be set up. Of course, there's no buy this year for the two seed. Don't forget that, people. Only the one seed gets a buy in each conference because there's seven playoff teams now. So everybody will play. And look, there's going to be no easy first round opponent at whoever doesn't have a buy. Because if you look at the back half of the AFC right now, the Bills are the two seed. They're playing the seven seed, who is going to be. What, the, it's either going to be Miami, it's going to be Baltimore. I mean, there's there's some good football teams in the AFC right now. So we're going to see what happens with that. 
uh, let me see, the Chiefs won in New Orleans. That was a really good win for them. Drew Brees came back, but didn't look like Drew Brees. I don't know about Drew Brees going forward. I mean, this is going to be a tough playoff for him. Can he once again show that, and again, he was without Michael Thomas. So let's give him a little bit of doubt, with a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. No Michael Thomas. But that, again, the Chiefs are the team to beat once again. I mean, Patrick Mahomes could be going back to back. He really could be. I don't know who's going to stop that offense. It's going to be a tough sell to stop that offense. I don't see any team doing it. Just don't. Uh, and, oh, by the way, the bonehead this, um, decision of the week goes to Dwayne Haskins, Washington football team. Uh, first of all, he laid an egg in the game against Seattle, no doubt about it. Look, he's not a good quarterback. Washington definitely regrets that draft pick. And this idiot goes to a strip club and photographs emerge online of him being in the strip club without a mask. What are you doing? You can't, I mean, you you suck as it is, and then you go out and be stupid. Now, again, he apologized, but what does an apology mean if you can be that stupid? I might have believed you're not going to do something else that could be equally stupid down the line. He's not long for this league. I don't know, maybe he'll get another chance elsewhere. With that said, now, I hate to link quarterbacks to colleges and say, well, just because this guy came from this college, well, then this guy could be a bust too. But if you're the Washington football team or anybody in that ma- in that matter in the first round who's looking at Justin Fields, now I think he's more mobile than Haskins. I think Haskins might be the better pocket passer. But if you watch Fields play, though, Fields makes a lot of questionable decisions. And we're going to see him on a big stage. We'll talk about college later on, on, on New Year's Day against that Clemson defense. Now, Clemson defense isn't what it was last year because they lost like 10 players in the NFL. But... I want to see Justin Fields sit in the pocket and make legitimate passes. Now, again, he's going to be on the run, so it's not like he needs to be in the pocket all the time. I'm not saying that. But on that next level, what is Justin Fields? I don't know if I'm so quick to draft him right now. And again, he could prove me wrong. Let's see what he does against Clemson, and we'll talk about the other game later on. I'm not going to jump on that. Um, I'm talking about the AFC playoff push in general. The Ravens, who looked like a very beatable team a couple weeks ago. Listen, I know they just beat up on Jacksonville, but the win in Cleveland was impressive. And the way that game ended was incredible. I'm going to talk about my fantasy teams in a minute. But the way that... Did you see the end of that game? So Lamar Jackson goes out. I'm in my fantasy uh, playoff game. I'm in, I guess, what would that be called? The quarterfinal, right? Quarterfinal playoff game. And Lamar Jackson, I needed nine points, I believe it was, or, or yeah, something like that, nine points, and he leaves the game in the fourth quarter. And you can only imagine me cursing, screaming, you name it. I think I tweeted, because Colin Cowherd went online and tweeted something about Lamar going out, and I think my my reply was something along the lines that he has menstrual cramps. I don't know. I was, I was vicious and angry. Hey, listen, I want to win. So he leaves the game. They bring in the backup McSorley, who looked like McSorley can only look, right? Um, And then out of nowhere, Jackson comes back into the game. And I kid you not, I'm texting with friends at the time, crying in my milk, basically. Really upset about the fact that I'm going to lose unless this guy somehow throws a touchdown pass. Because there wasn't enough time for him to get the yards necessary to win the game, being down nine points. And sure as shit, he throws the touchdown pass, and I won by three points. And I, by the way, I was only up by two, and I could have lost if he turned the ball over in regulation or the overtime. But wow, that was that was a gift win. I was really excited as a as a fantasy player, 
And look, the, the Ravens are, are, are a challenge. They're, whoever they play in the first round, they're going to give a hard time. Because Jackson, look, I, I know there was a blueprint last year with Tennessee. And I'm not saying that he's going to have the success he's had. But he has definitely had a tough season. But he's showing signs slowly. And he's still, listen, I'm not going to tell you anything other than the fact that he's a very mediocre pocket passer. Very mediocre. Some of the throws he misses, I'm inclined to believe a high school player could throw better than he does. So we'll see what happens with the Ravens. Uh, my fantasy teams, as I just mentioned, I have, uh, yeah, I hung on last week in both my leagues, and I am going to the championship in two leagues. So I'm pretty excited about that. I have a lot of difficult decisions to make in one of my leagues because I have, it's a 10-team it's a league. And of course, you have a loaded bench. So I have guys like Fournette and Swift on my bench, and I'm not sure who to play, because I also have guys like Carson and Cook and Jacobs, so yeah, I have a pretty loaded roster, and I have to see how matchups play out, but uh, it's a lot of fun, with a chance to win money, that's for sure, big fantasy guy here, I've won about, what, five or six championships in my leagues, I'm a bit of a guru, if you will, if you need advice on your fantasy team, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Morton's underscore law, I will give you great advice. I have people ask me advice all the time. Uh, let's go right to college football. And the college football playoffs are here. Now, the funny thing about the college football playoffs is this. When the season started, I wasn't sure the playoffs would be on time. Because I knew that the ACC, SEC were playing. And the Big Ten wasn't at first. The Pac-12 wasn't. Uh, excuse me, the Big 12 was also. But I thought everything was going to get pushed back. And then all of a sudden, the Big Ten says, oh, no, no, we're going to play now. And then the Pac-12 joined. And then out of nowhere, a couple weeks back, I go, wait, the playoffs are still on New Year's Day, and there's still going to be a championship game 10 days later. I went, what? <laughs> so so they basically said, okay, well, the Big Ten doesn't matter, unless you're Ohio State, because we don't care about the rest of the league. So you're only going to play your six games. And as far as the Pac-12, fuck you, you suck. We don't care about you anyway. And the Pac-12, I think, played four games. <laughs> it's just like, what? I mean, it's unbelievable. I think in the history of the, the, the playoffs, the college football playoff, only one Pac-12 team has made it, Washington. And what, 16 or 17, I remember. But, um... So, uh, the matchups are set. It's Alabama will play at 4 o'clock against Notre Dame. Did Notre Dame deserve to get in? Here's the thing. They beat Trevor... They, they beat no, uh, Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. It was a close game. And then they essentially got smashed with Trevor Lawrence. The problem with that is this year, who else are you putting in? You can make an argument. You're not putting Texas A&M in. I don't know where uh, Jimbo Fisher thinks Texas A&M deserves in. He talks about, oh, well, we play in the toughest conference in America. Listen, I'm pro-SEC because I'm an Alabama fan. But Jimbo Fisher, when you go and play Alabama and get destroyed 55-17, and then your only win is against Florida barely in overtime, and then go look at his schedule. He beat a lot, of, a lot of teams in the league by a few points. He doesn't have like convincing blowout victories where you would look at AM and go, that is a dominating team, and they had a hiccup against Alabama. No one thinks AM is legit, okay? Nobody. And if you look around at the top 10, uh, now Oklahoma beat Iowa State, but Oklahoma has two losses. And so, yeah, I just, I just don't think. You can really make a case for other teams. It's hard. I mean, Oklahoma with the two losses, 
and then you have Cincinnati who's undefeated now they're going to still play another game I think in their conference championship um I don't know oh wait no Cincinnati already played the conference championship and they won but still I just could you put them in that situation I don't know so Alabama is going to be a 17 well they were a 17 and a half point favorite now it's moved to 19 and a half I mean, look, it's going to go over 20 by kickoff. Nobody believes in Notre Dame. Nobody. And that's going to be their motivation. They're going to say, nobody believes we deserve to be here. Um, you know, listen, people have been talking about expanding the playoffs. People have said four teams is not enough. In the last couple of years, you can make an argument for a fifth or a sixth team. Maybe one team gets a bye. This is the year. Now, you can blame COVID that you can make a case there could be three teams. Do we really have a fourth? I don't think we do. Notre Dame, I, are they good? No, they're not good. You could really just do uh, Ohio State, Clemson, and give Bama a bye, and the winner plays Bama. It, it could be that. And and I hate to say this, and I don't want to jinx Alabama because I'm a fan, but playing Notre Dame is almost like a bye for them. It's going to be, I can't imagine them not winning this game by 25 points. I would be shocked. And... Because they just Notre Dame doesn't have the athletes. Now, granted, Alabama did lose their center, and that's a big loss. I don't know. I look, the backup, I'm sure he's respectable. He goes to Alabama. He's not chopped liver. So I just I just don't see. Look, Alabama is loaded, as you know. I mean, Mac Jones is, is a potential first-round draft pick. Devonta Smith is a first-round draft pick. Najee Harris is a late first, if not early second draft pick. I mean, they're so loaded at talent. This is one of the best offensive teams Alabama has ever had. Uh, they showed you in against Florida, though, that they still have some weakness on defense. They had improved during the season. No question about it, they improved. But Florida exposed some of their true freshmen. And I, I just don't know if, if Notre Dame has the athlete to do the same. So that's why I think Alabama will win this game by quite a bit. Um, moving along, I just wanted to talk about the future of Alabama in terms of Nick Saban. And we know he's up there. He's approaching 70, but he looks great. The guy's in phenomenal condition. Doesn't look like any signs of stepping away anytime soon. And he missed the game recently against Auburn because of COVID. And Steve Sarkeesian filled in. Now, when Sarkeesian took over for Alabama, I was not in love with this decision. I didn't look, I heard no about his history. Like, I don't want to vilify the guy for his history with being a drunk and being behind a wheel and all that other stuff. But he wasn't really a successful coach when he was in Atlanta. He had a bad run at USC. And I didn't love the idea of him being my offensive coordinator. With that said, this year, getting to see him with this offense and how good this offense is, he's changed. He has changed so much. He gets it. It's an even split 50-50 pass run. That's how it should be. And they, he knows when to run. He knows when to pass. I have not, aside from maybe one or two play calls in the Florida game, everything made sense. It made sense. And which led me to think, now, I know he's going to get multiple job offers. There's no question about it because of the success that this team has had this year. But who is Saban's successor? And, I, you know, everyone wants to point to Dabo Sweeney because he went to Alabama, was on the 92, cha- uh, 92 national championship team. But I don't see uh, Dabo Sweeney leaving Clemson. He's he's God there. He's what Saban is at Alabama. If you go to Alabama, you're only going to be now having to live up to Saban, despite the fact that Clemson has beaten Alabama twice. 
So maybe it's less to fill. Maybe he just wants to go home. I don't know what, what Dabo Sweeney's mindset is on that. But right now, if I was saying, well, if Nick Saban only had two years left, I would be like, okay, well, stay for a couple years, Sark, and you're going to succeed Nick Saban. And I would be okay with that right now. Because I don't know what other coaches are going to be available in two, three years when Saban does step away. But I really like Sark. Now, wherever he goes, maybe Alabama can lure him back. So that's a possibility. We'll see. So the NBA is back. Let's talk about that quickly. I watched the opening games last night. Listen, the Nets are killers. The Nets are killers. I'm not the biggest Kyrie fan. He can be a black hole at times with his poor shot selection, as can every other guy in the league. But last night, now again, the Warriors were undermanned. No, no Clay again. Clay's out for the year. Uh, no Draymond last night. So they, but the Nets came out and they just destroyed from tip to the end. It was an embarrassing loss for the Warriors. And barring any injuries, and when I say injuries, I mean Durant, because as has been proven in the past, the Boston Celtics won without Kyrie Irving. Now, the Nets are deep. The Nets are very deep. They have so much talent on this team that if he were to miss any time, I think they would be okay. And in this reduced 72-game schedule, I would be surprised if they didn't win 55 games. This is how good this team is. And I don't know who could beat him in the East. I mean, until Milwaukee gets a legit number two for Giannis, I mean, Middleton, is he he trade-worthy? Can they get somebody back from Middleton? What can you really get unless you're sending a draft pick somewhere? And Giannis just signed an extension. Why? I, I don't understand. Look, I, I respect Giannis for wanting to stay in Milwaukee. But if I'm Giannis and they start to struggle again this year. And look, they were the be- one of the best teams in the league pre-bubble. For whatever reason, they didn't do well in the bubble. And they got eliminated really early in the playoffs. Which was embarrassing. But if I'm Giannis and this team struggles, and let's say they're in the playoffs again, let's say they make the playoffs and they lose again, or maybe they're down a couple games, he has to send a message to ownership and say, I need help. Say it to the media. I need help. Not demand a trade right away. I had this conversation with somebody earlier. You can't just go, I want to be traded. Get me out of here like what I think Harden is doing in Houston. If Giannis can do it respectful, he won't become a villain. He's got to say, listen, you got to get me another guy. I need a second guy. I don't want to leave here and go be part of a threesome somewhere else. We're going to win five championships. I want to win in Milwaukee, but you got to give me help. I need another guy here. And you know who would be the ideal guy if he were ever healthy again? And who knows what the injuries he sustained the last two years? Clay Thompson would be perfect in Milwaukee if he could ever be back to being Clay Thompson again. So we'll see what happens there. Um, In terms of the rest of the league. I mean, look, the Sixers are loaded. They restocked. I think uh, Ben Simmons and Embiid, that's going to be a really good team this year. They're going to give, they're going to, I think with them in Miami, they're going to give the Nets the hardest time. I don't believe in the Celtics anymore. I think they're going to, they're going to step back a little bit. So it'll be Milwaukee, New Jersey. Oh, I said New Jersey. Wow. Some fans will enjoy that one. That little faux pas. Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Miami, and, and Philly. Yeah, those would be the four top four teams in the East, I believe. So it'll be a fun playoff, that's for sure, with those four going at it. And don't discount the Raptors. I don't want to dismiss the Raptors. They're always in the mix, and they're going to be good. Um, but they're going to be like a five or a six seed, just like just like Boston will be. And then perhaps Indiana. I, don't, I couldn't tell you after that who's going to make the playoffs. I don't know. In the West last night, wow, 
What a statement to start the game, first of all. The Clippers are up 20 at the end of the first quarter. Then the Lakers essentially come back and practically tie the game at halftime. But, interesting tidbit, the Clippers never gave up the lead. They led from start to finish and then eventually pulled away in the fourth quarter. And the thing with the Clippers is everyone thought they were going to go to the finals last year. They thought they were the team that could beat the Lakers. And what happened? Paul George happened. We talk about black holes. Paul George is as much of a black hole as Kyrie Irving can be and Russell Westbrook. Last night, Paul George showed that he can be a winner also. Now, can that Paul George show up in this coming playoff? Because Kawhi Leonard needs help. He's going to need Paul George to be the regular season Paul George. And that's going to be that's the ultimate challenge for certain players to win championships. So I can't tell you much more about the West aside from those two teams, the Lakers and the Clippers, going to be fighting it out. I mean, I think everybody else, it depends what happens with Harden and Houston, we'll see there. So that's that. Uh, lastly, before, and then we'll be coming back with wrestling. For all you fanatics out there who want to hear about wrestling, uh, the last thing is college basketball. Um, listen, there's three teams in this country right now that will win the championship. One of these three teams will win the national championship if there is a March Madness. Because with COVID, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but right now, to me, despite being number two in the country, the best team in the country is Baylor. Baylor is, they're loaded. They are so good. They're destroying everybody. Um, Baylor is, it's a shame that their game with Gonzaga didn't happen. But I think they would have ran Gonzaga out of the gym. I'm not saying in a blowout, but it would have been, they would have won. They would have prevailed. Gonzaga, I think, is the second best team who actually beat Iowa last Saturday. In a, in, a, in a pretty dominant fashion, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was disappointed in Iowa's ability to shoot. Um, Gonzaga really ran them out of the gym. They were up by 20, and Iowa made a little late comeback to make it respectable. But Gonzaga and Balor, I think they will play in the national championship. Iowa's that third team, but I just don't think they have enough athletes to compete with the Gonzaga and the Balor. Um, in terms of a dark horse team, I liked Illinois after seeing them win at Duke. But then they have looked horrible. I mean, they, they lost at Rutgers. They lost at Missouri. And I don't think they're any good now. I mean, who knows? It's a long season, of course. Rutgers, number 11 in the country, playing at Ohio State today. If they win at Ohio State, that really says a lot about Rutgers, who's also won at Maryland already. So Rutgers is an interesting uh, mix. Look, the Big Ten is so loaded. They're so loaded. I'll tell you how loaded the Big Ten is. Last Sunday night, in the first a game for each team in the conference number four Michigan State who was previously undefeated went into Northwestern and got run out of the gym just ran, completely destroyed from beginning to end Northwestern beat Michigan State handedly so when you have Iowa when you have Michigan State when you have Rutgers Ohio State Illinois I mean, there's other teams. Indiana's decent this year. Purdue looked decent against Iowa last night. The Big Ten is by far the best conference in America. They are so loaded. And uh, the ACC, listen, I'm a Tar Heels fan. That was a brutal loss last night in North Carolina State. Look, when you get down by 15 on the road at NC State, that's a hard comeback. Now, North Carolina did come back. I believe they were down within one. I don't think Carolina ever took the lead last night. They may have tied it. But NC State fought them off at the end and won the game. And look, Carolina's young. 
very they're loaded with so many McDonald's all Americans. So who knows if these kids stay? Again, that's the hard part. Um, I would hope some of these kids stay and don't go right to the NBA because that's the problem with the NBA. There's so much talent and potential, but a lot of these kids are not ready to play. So they have to sit and wait. And I know people are going to say, oh, well, what if they get injured? Then they lose millions of dollars. Listen, you can get hit. Well, you get hit by a car walking across the street. You just don't know. You can get hit by a stray bullet. Look at New York right now. I live in New York City. People get killed by stray bullets every day. We're, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. So why not go get that experience playing at a legit top program in the country like a North Carolina or a Duke? Stay another year. Stay another Stay even two more years. Come out of college at 21. I mean, it's only going to help your game. Because the fundamentals in the NBA right now is an embarrassment. When I watch some of these people, I was watching a fast break. And by the way, for those who don't know, I coach youth basketball. And once you get to roughly the foul line, you want to give the ball up and get it back. And I watched the, the, the guy drive right into the teeth of the defense and never pass the ball. That's just horrible fundamentals. He had a trailer on his left, by the way. I should have mentioned that. He had a trailer on his left. Pass it to him. Get it back. See what the defender does. And you see it You see it in college, too. Listen, there's, there's a lot of... And Kobe Bryant said this before he passed away. AU basketball was suffering. And that's where a lot of these kids are learning. And everyone wants to shoot threes. Everyone is good at jacking up threes. I don't deny the athletic ability of these people. I don't deny... The skill level, a lot of the talent of these kids, but these kids have to learn how to play the game. And a lot of them don't care to learn those aspects and it's hurting the game a lot. And I love this game so much. I want to see it played the right way. So that's my take. Um, You're listening to Morton's Law. We're going to come back with pro wrestling after this. Law, welcome back. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I appreciate it. I'm exhausted. I haven't done an episode in so long that I'm tired doing this right now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm beat up. So let's get into wrestling really fast. Just a, a little like review of everything I've seen over the last month as quickly as I can do this. So the big story recently was Keith Lee going down or being sent down to developmental to work on stuff. And I, there was a lot of outrage. A lot of outrage initially from people who say, what is Vince McMahon doing? He's, he's an old man. He's lost his mind. We've heard that narrative for a long time now. And I started thinking about it. And I love Keith Lee. Keith Lee's a tremendous talent. His work is, is next level. He, uh, when he, when he, his promos are good. And overall, he's a good big man. And I started to think, oh, what does Vince see? And by the way, there was a video that, that emerged online where Vince was talking to Keith Lee and telling him what he wanted to see out of him and what he needs to what he needs to get out of him to be a star. Because as I talk about on the show multiple times, you go back and listen to past episodes. WWE is lacking star power to bring in the casual fan. We look at the ratings and you see the numbers dropping. Where's the casual fan? They don't care. They don't care because there's no star. So when you look at Vince and... While he may be slowing down at 75, I don't deny that. Just because he doesn't have the bass in his voice he once did doesn't mean he can't still have a vision for what a star could be. And 
You could disagree with that. But my thought process is when I watch Keith Lee, I say this. And this is what I think Vince sees. Keith Lee is a really good worker. But is he a star? And that's the thing. Keith Lee is going to give you a really good wrestling match. But does that draw the casual fan? The answer is no. The answer will always be no. Yes, the hardcore fan is going to love Keith Lee. He's going to get over with the people there. He's going to get over with the the million five or two million that's watching Raw, SmackDown, and their pay-per-views. But the numbers that we talk about, when Raw used to draw three million, four million, I wouldn't even go back to the five and six million because that's 20 years ago. Just like five years ago, they were drawing three, three and a half. How do we get that next guy? Where's the next Cena? Where is he? So Vince McMahon sees Keith Lee and he says, I need a star. I want him to work more like a big man instead of a cruiserweight or a junior heavyweight. And Keith Lee at times likes to be a little reckless with his work. Not saying he's sloppy. What I'm saying is he doesn't work like a heavyweight all the time. And how do you sell a star as a junior heavyweight? Very few stars. Like you could say Daniel Bryan was a star. He was a legitimate junior heavyweight posing as a heavyweight. I mean, Daniel Bryan probably never weighed more than 200 pounds. So he's, he's Ray Mysterio is another guy. But I, I don't think Vince wants to see Keith Lee at 330 pounds wrestling like Daniel Bryan or Ray Mysterio. And that, that's his vision. And you could disagree with that. But ultimately, what draws the casual fan? And that's my take on that. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. But I, I don't think Keith Lee... And now I believe because when they say it's sending him down, remember they're all in the same state. They're all in Florida. So it's not like he can't go work on stuff to work better as a big man or whatever psychology and stuff Vince wanted to work on with him to make him a star um, and still come back up to Raw. Now, I don't watch Raw SmackDown anymore because I think both shows are terrible. And that's an indictment on, on, on Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon and the inability to write cohesive, coherent storylines that make sense and play out. Um, they, they just, it's insulting what you see. I'm not going to tell you there aren't good matches. Of course there are, but a lot of the time you shake your head and you go, what am I watching? And I, I still pay attention to what's going on to a degree. And all I hear people say is, oh my God, that was awful. That segment was awful. The dialogue was awful. How could they say those things? And that's another thing. Guys aren't saying what they want to say. They're being told what to say. So how can you get any real true emotion from a wrestler that's going to connect with the fans when it's not organic? I'm reading off a script and now I have to put life into the script and make you believe in me. And a lot of times that fails. It fails and it's continuing to fail because the wrestling fan or the casual fan doesn't care about you anymore. And when I say you, I'm talking about each wrestler out there who's trying to connect. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, A little things that's been going on in NXT. Look, I love NXT. I love the wrestling aspect. I think Triple H does a phenomenal job. He has. Now he's added Jeremy Barash and I know Michael Hayes is one of his right-hand guys. Shawn Michaels is also involved and others. What they've done, Rhea Ripley is mind-blowing when you think about what she was back in april going against charlotte for the title on that pay-per-view and now listen people went nuts that she lost to charlotte and people eventually hated charlotte for it 
and she essentially got booed off, you know, from people from home. Obviously, there's no crowd, really, other than what you see in the background. But online, people were booing Charlotte, pretty much. So Rhea Ripley comes back down to NXT, and you would think you would protect her and have her eventually win the title. And fast forward how many months? She's still chasing the title. And nothing against Io Shirai. But I don't know why they had her lose clean to her. I don't get it. Now, personally, I'm surprised Rhea Ripley's still even in NXT. I don't know why she's not on the main roster. I don't know what their plans are for her. Because if she's going to just sit down here and not be the champion, I don't get it. Because now, right now, not only did she lose clean the EO, she just lost to Tony Storm, albeit screw job. So you could say, okay, well, they didn't kill her. But here's the difference, okay, between killing somebody and elevating somebody. And that's what I talk about with the fans. The fans keep seeing you lose and lose and lose. Well, why do I care about you anymore? Obviously, they don't care about you. So why should I? Because you're not winning matches. And Rhea Ripley is right now on that fine line. Now, again, we don't, the crowd, it is what it is. It's in the background. We don't really, we can't really hear them. There's no audio for those people. They're on their, the internet watching. But I don't want to say they've killed Rhea Ripley yet, but they've really hurt her image. Her image as a badass. I mean, she was a legit badass. Now you see some emotion from Rhea Ripley, some like sadness, some true human emotion. I don't like that. I don't like it because from the standpoint of she's supposed to be a badass. She's supposed to be a monster. And I don't even know why she hasn't been turned heel yet. I thought that would have made more sense than turning Tony Storm heel. I think Rhea Ripley should have turned heel and beat you, Shirai, if anything. Tony Storm turning heel, uh, to do what? Now she just beat Rhea Ripley. So now Rhea Ripley's completely out of the title picture. I don't get it. I don't know their plans. It, it doesn't make sense. And that's a lot of things what's going on in NXT right now. When you watch it, you go, what happened to the NXT I love? Because there's a lot of things right now that you can question. I don't get Dexter Loomis. I never will. I don't know how he's in. The, in I don't know how he was beating guys he was beating. Um, it's good to see Karrion Cross back. I'll say that. Karrion Cross is a star. Again, he's not, he's not going to be there long. Vince is definitely pulling him up at some point, sooner than later. And Finn Balor's been out with the injury. He's going to be back. Obviously, he's going to be wrestling uh, at the show in a couple weeks. He's going to be taking on Kyle O'Reilly, who beat Pete Dunne again. That was a really good match, though. And I don't know what they're going to do with that title. But here's the thing. Um... At the next show, I believe, what are they calling it? Something New Year or something, right? It's New Year's. I forget. I should have wrote it down, written that down. Um, Damian Priest is going to take on Cross, which is, it should be a really good match. But here's the issue. I think Priest and Cross are destined for the net, for the main roster. And unfortunately, unless they go with a, a DQ finish, Cross is going to go over here, which is going to hurt Priest. I don't like them beating Priest like that because I didn't like the fact that Priest didn't win the, uh, the North American title. They put it back on Gargano, which I didn't get because Gargano had already won the title, so it justified his heel turn. And then you had the, the thing with Leon Ruff where he beat G- Gargano in the fluke, and then they do a three-way. That's when you put the belt back on Priest. 
I didn't get it. Didn't get it. Um, there's a lot of things you can question right now about NXT. But look, you're going to get, ultimately, you're going to get Balor. I think you're going to get Balor and Cross. Um, now, where does Ciampa fit into this? Remember, before Cross got injured, he destroyed Ciampa uh, on his way to beating Keith Lee, of course. So you can't sell me that Ciampa who is now taking on like Timothy Thatcher's of the world and beating Cameron Grimes and beating all these other guys that Ciampa is now going to go get a rematch against Cross and they're going to make it a good match because think about it. Cross basically squashed a former champion in Tommaso Ciampa. It was almost a squash match. Oh, a lot of things don't make sense right now, but ultimately Cross will be champion again. I think. And that's another thing when you talk about Timothy Thatcher. What did they do with him? Go back to the cage match, or the pit rather, the pit match he had with Matt Riddle. He tapped Matt Riddle out. I don't know what significant win he's had since. I mean, he just loses feud after feud after feud. And then he loses again to Chomp. I mean, he's got to be Chomp in the next match. He's got to. You're just killing Thatcher now. I don't understand. This is not how you build guys. So, let's see what happens with that. Um, and then, there was revealed, by the way, with, with Gargano, because Austin Theory, who was under the uh, ghost face mask, and look, Austin Theory is the guy there, too. He might be the guy, although Cross will probably go up before Theory does. So, when Cross eventually goes to the main roster, I could see Austin Theory against Damian Priest, perhaps, for the main title. At some point, we'll get that, I think. So that'll be a, a good match, no doubt about it. Because Austin Theory is a tremendous worker, as is Priest. Um, so, I mean, or you could also get Theory against Balor. It depends what they do down the road, especially when guys get called up again. Moving along to AEW. So, Omega turns kind of, sort of heel. And he becomes champion. He beats Moxley. I didn't love the finish. I mean, I understand they did the screw job to keep Moxley strong. It made sense. Um, it was an okay match. Listen, Moxley's matches need to be better. He has this obsession with going on the on the outside the ring and brawling all the time. I guess that's slightly more entertaining to the casual fan. I don't know. But right now you have Omega, and then they're doing this cross-promotional thing with Don Callis and Impact Wrestling. Hmm. Listen... <laughs> Say what you will about Impact Wrestling. You realize this company's been around since 2002, I believe now? Or was it 03? I don't I mean, this company's around 17 years. Impact Wrestling has lasted longer than Ring of Honor. Oh, no, no, excuse me, not Ring of Honor, because they've been around since the same time, rather. I meant to say uh, longer than ECW and World Championship Wrestling. Think about it. WCW didn't start until 1990, roughly, because it was still the NWA. So WCW lasted 10 years, and Ring of Honor, I keep saying Ring of Honor, ECW lasted roughly 7 years. Impact Wrestling, that has made not even a quarter of the dent in the wrestling industry that WCW and ECW did, is around 17 years. You can't kill it. It doesn't die. In fact, if there's an Armageddon, if the world ends, the only things that will be left on this earth are roaches and Impact Wrestling. That, it's that bad. 
excuse me, water break. So AEW, they do Omega. He goes there. I'm not watching. You can't pay me to watch it. I tried to watch Impact Wrestling. There's so many things wrong with the show. Tommy Dreamer is is still on there wrestling. Rhino is still on there wrestling. It's hard for them to keep talent. They got guys coming in, guys leaving. They, uh, I think they just lost Ethan Page. They lost the the, the Rascals. They lost, um, I don't know, I forget who else they lost. But guys are leaving all the time. How don't you keep a certain roster? You have to be able to keep guys. I don't get it. So, yeah, it's just hard to watch Impact Wrestling. I'm not going to tell you there's no talent. Of course, there's talent there. I know the good brothers are there. There's some other good guys that are there. And it's just like, you know, I mean, Rich Swan was their champion or is their champion, I should say, which is probably going to be cross promotion with him and Omega. And it's hard to care. Now, I, I heard that Tony Khan went on their show saying that, that Impact Wrestlers can come to AEW. Ugh, I don't know. You care? I don't. So, um,. Sting is back. What do you guys think about Sting being back? Sting is 61 and he has spinal stenosis. And that was courtesy Seth Rollins who made a mistake, of course, with the buckle bomb and injured uh, Sting. Not really. Seth isn't known to injure people, so it was an accident. But Sting hasn't been in the ring in, what, four years? Now, it was a good debut for him on, on, I almost said Nitro. I really almost said Nitro. For on a sting on dynamite, first time on TNT in 20 years. Uh, the interaction was great with on Anderson, with Cody, um, with with uh, Darby Allen. A lot of that stuff is good, but at the end of the day, you go, Sting is 61 and has a bad back. How is he gonna wrestle? So that's the question. What do they do with him? Because they bring him out for the first show, right? Now, keep in mind, the show is taped. And people were so happy to see Sting that um, almost a million people watched that show. Here's the problem. The next week was live. And the number dropped 200,000 people. 800,000 only watched the live episode. I don't understand that. How'd you lose those people? So that tells me right there that you had some WWE people and you had old WCW people that stopped watching wrestling. Tune in to give you that extra 200,000. Because if you look at AW, they average between 850 and 9 ish. You know, occasionally they get up to 9. They're more in the 8s than they are on the 9s. And they have the same issue WWE has. How do you build the star? What do you do? If you're bringing Sting back, yeah, he's a star. Past tense was. You can't sell Sting. Are you going to put Sting in the ring with Cody? Are you going to put him in there with Jericho? What, what does that do for the, the younger talent? Now, granted, I'm not saying a title will be on the line, so Sting isn't beating uh, Kenny Omega, for example. You know, that's not happening. But it, this is not an easy decision in how you do that. Now, people say, oh, well, you could put him in a cinematic match and they could hide his flaws and, and keep him safe. You could do that. I also remember back roughly in 2010-ish, when Hogan was retired, and he and Sting at that time had a match, and Sting was 51 at the time, had a match where it was like a bunkhouse brawl match. They actually came in street clothes and they just fought. So you could do that kind of match with Sting and Cody, where they just fight each other and there's no wrestling per se. I don't know, but AEW has a lot of issues. I mean, they they literally gave you last week. Think about this for a second. You do a million people. Almost. They were five, what, 5,000 people short of a million two weeks ago. And they give you your main event last week. 
is Omega against Joey fucking Janela. That's your main event. Are you kidding me? For those who haven't heard, I mean, look, if you listen to the show, you know this already. Not even the AEW fans like Joey Janela. And they like almost anything. So the fact that this guy, this is you now you're gonna kill your core audience by putting Janelle in the ring. What are you doing? Tony Khan, get a get a clue. I the ending of that show last week was an abomination. I don't know what they're doing. And now tonight, uh, by the way, I'm recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, tonight they're gonna be preempted by the NBA, so you're not gonna see. Dynamite until 10-ish Because uh, the NBA game is on 7.30 So you give I don't even think they have a post-game show So they should probably go right into Dynamite at 10 o'clock Which is, is of course taped tonight now So I don't know Alright, let's get to this What happened to Hangman Page? What happened to Hangman Page? He was on the cusp Now you want to say the crowd not being in capacity Has hurt him somewhat With the whole beer drinking gimmick Whatever, alright Maybe that's the case. Maybe there's something more for him going forward in 2021. I hope. Because the guy is extremely talented. And by the way, much like other wrestlers that we just like, listen, Hangman isn't the size of Keith Lee, but Hangman should work a little bit more like a heavyweight and stop doing the shooting star, stop doing the the moonsaults and all that other stuff. Hangman needs to work a little bit more like a heavyweight. Um... But he is now, think about this. He went from wrestling Kenny Omega for the number one contender for the AW title to now being a sideshow freak with the Dark Order. What what are you doing with this guy? I don't understand. Now again, I don't know their plans for him going forward. He could be right back in the title picture at some point. But it doesn't make any sense. And here we go. I got to talk about it. I got to talk about it. And I know a lot of people online, I've been getting grief about it. There's a crowd out there, part of the AW audience, that likes John Silver. Digest that thought for a second, if you're a general wrestling fan, or if you've never heard of John Silver, or you've seen him and you went, he's a wrestler? Now, nothing against John Silver as a person, okay? Listen, I know John Silver and Alex Reynolds wrestled locally here in New York. They're from Long Island. They were in Pro Wrestling Syndicate five, six years ago on the indie scene. And they're good workers. I'm not saying they're not. My point is they are tremendously small human beings, more so Silver than Reynolds. And Silver's a legit 5'4". And I guess he's on BTE, Being the Elite, for those who watch that YouTube show with the Bucks. And everyone says, well, not everyone, that audience says he's funny, he's entertaining, and other people have defended and says he is. What are you going to do with John Silver? How can you sell John Silver? What, what are you going to give him? What, what is John Silver? I mean, look, people have to be part of the mid-card. I get that. But what is he going to be? I think a casual fan tunes in to Dynamite and they see a five foot four. Look, he's in incredible shape. He's a good wrestler the whole nine, but he's 5'4". He looks like an indie guy. I'm sorry. I hate to say it. And that's what the casual fan is going to say. Look at this indie guy, five foot four guy. If the casual fan even knows what indie means. I'm just saying. And that's the thing with, with, with AEW. All right. We talk We talk about, listen to this. We talk about WWE and they have 205 Live. So I have an idea for AEW, right? This is my idea for AEW. You can have a show because I know they've been talking about their new show that's going to come on. You could call it 65 Live 
or five foot five live because basically that's what John Silver is. You have a couple other guys. You have Marco Stunt. I mean, you could bring Taz out of retirement. You could get you could get Drake Maverick once he leaves NXT. I mean, there's so many small guys in AEW. It's like what? <laughs> like sixty-five live, which for those who don't know, realize is five feet five inches tall. So I thought that was pretty funny. Laugh, you motherfucker! Laugh. It's funny. Um. So, <laughs> but I mean. No one's going to take him seriously. I'm sorry. So, um, so people, oh, that's another thing I was going to say. So people will say, well, what are your thoughts on Jonathan Gresham? He's five foot four. He's in ring of honor. He's the pure champion currently. And I say, I've known Jonathan Gresham in this, in this business for over a decade now. Now I know Reynolds and Silver have been in equally as long, but when you look at Jonathan Gresham and you know his style and you know that he works that submission style and that true wrestling, the pure wrestling, he comes across more despite his lack of size than John Silver. And you could disagree with that. That's fair. You could say, well, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. I just, when I look at Jonathan Gresham, I don't look at his height. I know he's one of the best workers in the world. And in fact, Ring of Honor, by the way, I'm still watching Final Battle. Ring of Honor needs to somehow, when this pandemic is over, however it happens, they got to get Jack Sabre Jr. over to the United States and do that pure match. Because I want to see Gresham versus versus Sabre Jr. That's going to be a hell of a match. If Ring of Honor can make that happen. Um, And more with AEW. Like, if you're Brody Lee, Lance Archer, and Brian Cage, do you regret signing with AEW? When you think about how all three guys have been misused... I mean, I, I personally believe all three would be better off in New Japan. I would love to say, I know Archer came from New Japan. He took a chance coming over, didn't work, go back, whatever. Or go to Impact, I don't know. Go to go to ROH, I don't know. Go, go, there's NWA, NWA had a restart. I, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, Ring of Honor, I just mentioned Gresham, they had their restart. I'm still watching Final Battle. So I did see the Pure Championship uh, match. Uh, that Gresham won, he beat uh, Flip Gordon, which was a good match, because Gordon usually works that different style, and then we're seeing now he can work other styles, which will help his career going forward. And uh, I'm going to still watch the Brody Lee versus Roosh match. I haven't seen that yet, so that's for the title there, Ring of Honor. I like what they're doing. Ring of Honor slowing stuff down. They're making it easy. They're not doing too much spotty stuff. I mean, going back to AEW, that's, that's another thing. Oh, my goodness. When you watch some of those matches... You're just like, okay, you just did 35 moves and you didn't pin your opponent. What does it mean? You basically, the proverbial the kitchen sink, right? You beat your guy up, used the kitchen sink, and you still didn't pin him. It goes back to, there was a company, a brief company on MTV back in 2005 called Wrestling Society X. And they would do all these crazy ECW style false finishes where it was over the, over the top. And... I, I had a line. I was like, in, in, in Wrestling Society X, you could literally pull out a gun and shoot your opponent in the head and they would still kick out on two and seven eights. That's how bad the false finishes were in this company. And AEW treads that line. They tread that line. There's too many false finishes. And it has to mean more. The move has to mean more. Because then you're basically... And listen, oh, I forgot to mention this. Jim Ross was critical of a lot of the moves and took heat for it. 
by well, what's his Brandon Cutler had the audacity to comment on Brandon Cutler, who you couldn't pick out of a lineup, by the way. Had the, who's, who's also friends with the Bucks, so what it is what it is, of course, you know, the whole friends thing. Jim Ross has a point, and you cannot dismiss Jim Ross's point. And look, I've been critical of Jim Ross because I know he buries a lot of the guys on, on, on the air. But the thing is, I started to see the light. I started to go, well, wait a second, though. He's right. These guys don't get the business. These guys think that these indie style moves work for the mainstream audience. It doesn't. It's going to give you your core 800,000 every week. But when you're doing spot after spot after spot, when it doesn't make sense and you're not selling anything, when you literally pop up after taking a poison rana or taking a package pile driver like we saw in the Phoenix Pentagon match. Talk about a guy they ruined, Pentagon. Go back and watch Pentagon in his Lucha Underground days. Much better booked. Much better. That move where he takes the arm and snaps it back in Lucha Underground, that was an injury angle. They bro- He broke the person's arm. In AEW, the person is fine. They're, they recover within two minutes. In Lucha Underground, package pile driver ended every match. In Lucha Under, excuse me, in AEW, people kick out on two. They don't get it. They don't. That's the problem. And when Jim Ross said what he said, Brandon Cutler said, "Oh well, he shouldn't say it on air. He should come to us and talk to us." Well, that, that's partially true. I'll say that if Jim Ross isn't going to the talent and saying something, well, then he's got to do that. Is he should be allowed to do that. He should say, well, here's what I think of your match. And not for nothing, when you hear about the history of the business, young guys or guys new to the mainstream, for example, like, you know, the independents existed back 20, 30 years ago. They were called outlaw shows. When you got, when guys would get to the main roster or main roster, when you would go to WWF back then or the NWA, it was always known that a young guy would ask the veteran or ask the agent, uh, what'd you think of my match? So if these guys aren't asking the veterans back there, like the Jake the Snake Roberts, the the Tully Blanchers, the Ole, the Ole, I'm gonna say, the Arn Andersons, Ole isn't back there, um, and Jim Ross, if these guys aren't saying, well, what do you think of my match? Well, then they don't get the business either, because there's got to be some form of, of of criticism, constructively, of course, to where we can eliminate some of the unnecessary spots that can also get you killed, by the way. It's very dangerous, some of these moves. So it's a, not only is it a, a sensical thing, it's a safety issue. And and for Cutler to come out and say that, well, go to Jim Ross. Say, Jim, well, tell me how I can be better in the ring. I want to be better. Don't get defensive. Don't say, well, the, oh, guys aren't going to listen to Jim Ross tonight. He's going to just kill us on his podcast or he's going to kill us live on the air. You, you should want to get better regardless. I don't get it, but that's that's today's world. That's that's the entitled mentality of so many people, not just in the wrestling industry, it's all over the world. I deserve this, give me this, not I'm gonna earn this. It's horrible, it really is. Um moving along, almost done here. Thank you for joining for this longer episode. Well, not longer, I usually do an hour and a half anyway, so um so for those who have not seen MLW. It's a company that actually was founded in 2002 or three by Court Bauer, 
who then went on, well, they had financial issues because they were an upstart company who used a lot of old ECW guys when ECW folded in 01. And they had a television show and they were doing well, but Court ran into some money issues. And he eventually went on to WWE where he became a producer and a writer and all that good stuff there. Uh, he stayed there several years and eventually in 17, I believe, or 18, MLW had their relaunch. And with pandemic, of course, they were out of action for a while. And within the last three weeks, they've done their own restart. And it's been incredible. Like, I'm, I'm so impressed with MLW and the things they do. I tweeted Court Bauer, and he replied, which was great. I talked to him about the booking in my tweet, just in terms of how his matches made sense. I watched the match between ACH. Uh, he was formerly in the WWE, by the way. He was the guy that went nuts with Triple H. I, I, what was his name? Jordan... I forget what his name was, Jordan, I don't remember, whatever, ACH, um, and he went against Laredo Kid. I'm inclined to believe if ACH wrestled Laredo Kid in AEW, it would be a, a nonsensical spot fest, because both guys do know how to work that style too. However, I want to believe, I want to give Court Bauer the, the credit here, I think, and slowing the match down, saying, okay, guys, we don't need 30 high spots. Let's wrestle. Let's work like a heat. Like, let, let's do wrestling moves. Let's make people care about wrestling again. And um, they did it. It was a really good match. You had, don't get me wrong, there was spots. You can have spots, but they have to make sense. I'm not telling you you can't go off the top rope anymore. I'm not saying you can't do a super kick anymore. You can't do a pocket power drive or a poison runner, but they have to make sense and lead to a pin. And in this match, everything made sense. And when I tweeted Court Bauer how impressed I am with his style of booking, he replied and he basically said, now you can you can read this exchange on my Twitter, Morton's underscore law. Actually, you know what? I'm not sure if you probably can because I replied to his tweet because he promotes uh, MLW week, uh, Fusion every week. So um, I said, I, when I said what I said, he said, yeah, the, the, there's a lost art of booking. People don't know how to book anymore. They don't understand long, either long-term storytelling or just how to put a match together. And when you lay out a match, you have to think about the whole card. Because if you have the first match on the card and you do every move in the book, well, then guess what? You can't follow that match. So now that match stole the show. And now what do you do? So you have to lay out a match and go, okay, we're going to elevate as we go up on the card and we're going to give people more stuff to do. And that's a problem with wrestling today in general. So court gets it. Thankfully, um, I'm enjoying the opera cup. Uh, I think the finals is going to be Tom Lawler against Loki. I got to see the Loki match against Holloway was, 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 was respectable. It was good. MLW doing a great job. Congratulations to them. And the hardest part for them going forward is how do you keep your talent? Because they have, they're loaded with so many guys that you know AEW, WWE, specifically Triple H with NXT, they're going to be calling for. Uh, the World Heavyweight Champion, Jacob Fatu, is phenomenal talent. Alex Hammerstone looks like Lex Luger. I mean, you got to see this guy. Incredible talent. And then you have, uh, you have Holloway that I just mentioned. He's another big guy who looks good. And, uh, I mean, it's just hard to keep people. When I don't know how, what their budget is. That's another thing. That's the hard part with, with smaller companies. Same thing I mentioned with Impact Wrestling um, and Ring of Honor. They all struggle to keep keep guys. Um, last but not least, 
I wanted to just quickly touch on uh, Mike Tyson, the fight that I <laughs> that happened. Now, what is that? How long ago? I mean, <laughs> I was here's my thought going into that fight. I was really hoping that Mike Tyson at some point would just go full zombie and try to eat Roy's face. I think that would have been more entertaining than the fight itself. And I mean, with it being Mike Tyson, would you actually be shocked if he tried to eat Roy's face? I mean, come on, the man tried to eat Holyfield's ear. So, listen, the, the fight was good to a degree because you get to see Tyson look like Tyson at times. But ultimately, you knew Roy was a little concerned, even though there was a no knockout rule in there. They didn't want anybody to get knocked out. But once you put Tyson in there, you're unleashing a beast. So when Roy got into trouble, he did the grabbing and the holding and getting walk, running away. So Roy was smart. Like the judging was a joke. Tyson won that fight. They called it a draw. Whatever. No one cares. But um, yeah, it was it was okay. But the the most interesting night part about that night, other than Snoop Dogg, by the way, being high and doing a concert, <laughs> which was also somewhat entertaining, was was Nate Robinson. <laughs> Nate Robinson got knocked out, and it was really embarrassing because he was also wearing Knicks colors. <laughs> it was so bad. I mean. I felt, I didn't feel bad. I was laughing. I was like, I could watch that knockout on a loop. <laughs> it was so funny. I think Nate just woke up, by the way. Nate just woke up yesterday. Um, and oh, I'm sorry. I forgot one other thing. I, I apologize. I, I was trying to get off the air. Uh, Tony Ferguson, MMA. Let's talk really quickly about it. Tony Ferguson had taken a beating earlier this year against Justin Gaethje in a light uh, weight fight. And he stayed in the pocket and got rocked a hundred times. And he came out last weekend and fought Charles Oliveira and was dominated. Dominated more so on the ground than the stand-up. Oliveira was smart, took him down, grounded him. And Tony Ferguson has come out, had some really odd comments about his corner, had some odd comments about Oliveira. And it's of the belief, and I talked to somebody who works in the business, that we think Dana White needs to suspend Tony Ferguson and get him tested for CTE because with all the shots this guy eats in the pocket, there's no way he doesn't have CTE. I would be shocked if he doesn't. Um, it's sad. This is what happens to fighters sometimes. And look, athletes in general. And I think Tony's lost his mind, and I don't think he should be fighting right now. And that's just my honest opinion. He's a great fighter, but he's taken one too many shots. Time to, time to take a, a medical suspension and maybe consider retirement because I just don't want to see him become a vegetable. And um, John Jones is officially a heavyweight and uh, uh, he looks amazing putting on that extra weight and he's going to wait now to fight the winner of Nagano and Miocic, which I believe is going to happen in March. And Nagano's not happy about it because he wanted to fight sooner because essentially he's been waiting around for almost a year to fight. So that wraps up to you. I think, oh wait, no. And, and McGregor is fighting... In January against Dustin Poirier, which should be a hell of a slugfest, because Poirier is another guy who sits in the pocket like Ferguson. So um, we'll see what McGregor looks like, who hasn't been in there in a while. So that wraps up another edition of Morton's Law. I thank everybody who supports the show. Please continue spread the word if you can. Uh, have a lot of fun doing this. Thank you, and um, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. And Happy New Year, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Take care. God bless gay sex.